Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I am Asher Panjuris, and as always, I'm really appreciative of you for listening and for supporting this emerging podcast. Before we get to the guest, I just wanted to make actually only one announcement this week, and that announcement is that starting in August, I will be releasing episodes every other week. So there will be two episodes each month, approximately. I wanted to start out the podcast with a lot of material so that people can really dig into it and share it and get excited about it and get a sense of what my hopes are for this project. And I will continue as long as I have Patreon supporters. I will continue to be able to produce two episodes a month starting in August. So that is, I think, the only announcement I'm going to make. As always, you can find me at livinginthisqueerbody.com or on Instagram at livinginthisqueerbody. If you're interested in working with me, I am running um, monthly workshops in New York. Um, and okay, so this is actually, sorry, this is one more announcement. But if you're interested in the possibility of doing an online workshop, send me a message, email me through my website or DM me on Instagram. I'm thinking that there are a lot of people. I'm really excited to see that a lot of people are listening all over the world, actually. And so that's exciting. And I'm wondering if folks who are not in the New York City area would be interested in doing a monthly Living in this Queer Body online virtual meeting workshop. Let me know. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my next guest. So I actually met this person uh, named Leah Jo Carnine in, I don't remember what year, many, many years ago when my younger brother, who is a farmer now, but when he had built um, his very first house um, in rural Oregon and I went out to visit him and was on beautiful land and this was one of his friends and this was you know over 15 years ago probably and they were all very young and I was young and now Leah is doing continues to do amazing things and is doing some really amazing things so it was such a interesting moment to reconnect with this person as we're doing kind of different things with our lives. I was in graduate school at the time. And so that is, that's kind of how I came to know about this person. And I'm so glad I do because we had a really lovely conversation. Leah Jo Carnine is a community organizer and family medicine healthcare provider living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's been fortunate to be part of integrating queer and trans health, harm reduction, and anti-oppression framework into her community health work and trauma-informed somatic learning into medicine and liberation work. She's passionate about the intersections of transformative health care and collective liberation and enjoys making art, playing banjo, hiking, and hanging with her tiny dog and beloved community. I am so glad that this person has chosen to 
intervene in the Western medical world. And as someone who often has to interact in that world, um, I absolutely love the idea of Leah being one of the medical providers in Albuquerque who is providing really attuned and sophisticated care that is focused on the goals of collective liberation. So I hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Leah, thank you so much for joining me today. Really happy to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Super happy to talk with you. So as you may recall um, from past episodes, I've been uh, asking people to sort of think about their earliest memories of having or being in a body, any messages that you received about that or yeah, what you remember about that. Yeah. Um, it's such a good question and such a tough one. I feel like, um, and I have thought about it from listening to your other podcasts and what comes to mind for me is my first or like earliest memories of having a body being complicated dual relationship of this, like here I am in this, in this body that is both like gets to be naked and liberated and move around as it will and as it wishes and like embarrassment and shame around it. And just that like kind of um, holding both of those. And I, I think my mom was just like such a, she's super beautiful and would have, she, she both would uh, like not wear a ton of clothes and, or like wear, like show a lot of skin and be seem comfortable in her body and then simultaneously like lots of self-hate talk about her body. And so I think um, there was just like that, that piece for me. Um, and then of course, you know, the world and all of the messaging of that layers in all of the multitude of ways, both privileged and um, femme socialization. So yeah, that's my first kind of like being naked a lot and like outside and kind of uh, in it and like, okay with it. And then also that what is this? And is this okay? Embarrassment, shame stuff. Mm. Do you remember what you understood about your mom's relationship to her own, that kind of dual relationship she seemed to have with her body? Do you remember how you made sense of that or how maybe how you make sense of it now, but just that modeling sounds really, um, I don't know, it sounds interesting and unique in a way to have a parent be be sort of really open and in a way and then also kind of not yeah totally I don't know as a kid how I made sense of it I don't have good kind of memory of that but when I think about it now I'm just like oh of course there's like the the like our truest nature of wanting to be um, in these bodies that we have and then fighting with um, all of, yeah, with patriarchy and internalized patriarchy and misogyny and um, just like body shaming, uh, thin privilege stuff, all of that. So I think 
it would kind of make sense to me now. And yeah, and I hold just like so much love and compassion for that. And also I'm like, I think I was like deeply impacted by that as modeling, of course, of being like, here's this beautiful being um, that is my mom, that is like my nurturer and caregiver um, with such, yeah, like really harsh, harsh self-hating messages around body. Um, and I'm sure that was just so confusing for the the little me, just like, you're perfect. Give me that boob, you know, or whatever was going on at the time. Yeah. Yeah. What would you feel comfortable talking about some of the ways that not specifically necessarily your mom, but just those that kind of more pervasive, like, you know, desire to be free with your body and also, you know, really confronting a lot of barriers to that. Like, how did that, how has that manifested? What comes to mind? How has that manifested in your, you know, your, either your childhood or, you know, your early adult life? Mm-hmm. I think that I, I really kind of embodied and carried that a lot in my childhood and early life and like struggled with, yeah, both being like in a really kind of normalized, like thin white cis uh, femme body and like seeking affirmation from the world and from the patriarchy in that body. Um, and, and like a real discomfort with that at the same time, but also like a feeling really comfortable, like wearing, like, yeah, wearing, like showing a lot of my skin and, um, yeah, yeah. Just, um, evolving and growing in a way that was, yeah, that, that kind of like mixed internal mixed message of worthiness and, um, like reinforcement from the world and shame and yeah, all of the things. Yeah. What do you, what for you, what do you know about like the impact of that, the, the shame and the kind of shutting down of some of those impulses or desires to be more, or, and the privilege also to be kind of more free and open with your body like what, it, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of when I think about the top, like this podcast and mm-hmm. just this like queer, queer embodiment kind of journey. I'm like, oh, that's part of it, right? I'm like, here we are in this world. And for so many different reasons, uh, people are just like checking out of our bodies. And I think that, yeah, and and the way that that the that systems of oppression are like teaching us different things about uh, about what is okay and how to like um live and and be in those bodies i think that's just like for me yeah it's very there's so much yeah there's so many of the layers of privilege in that and then also that like this does not have the right to exist just for my own being and life and essence like this is like this body is for like the pleasure of men or this body, like just like the sexualization and objective objectification. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, Oh, I feel like there, it's just, it feels like such a mix up and such a mess of like reasons to kind of like, yeah, get smaller and be in my head more than in my body. And yeah, try and like fit in and take up, yeah, like squeeze down and, um, yeah, all of those things I think are some of the impacts for me. Um, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. yeah. and some of those. Yeah, it seems like, you know, from what I know about you, at least, or, you know, and we can talk a little bit, I'd love to talk a little bit about what you're doing currently, but, you know, from what I understand about you, and I hesitate to use the word like heal, you know, quote unquote healing journey, but, you know, that there's been that, that at some point, and I'm curious about when that was in sort of recent history, but at some point, you know, you started doing sort of more somatic based healing both for you know within yourself and then also you're doing that professionally in a way and I guess just given your history I'm curious what you think you know sort of contributed to that pivot in a way to 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 kind of I don't know like centering the body in and attending to these parts of the body that are, you know, wounded or not like feeling shame or those kinds of things. Um, Yeah. I would love to speak to that. I think, yeah, kind of tracing back over the last 15 or so years of my life. um, I think coming out as queer was a huge part of that. (laughs) Just like, Oh my God, queer sex and like consent and just like, having, uh, yeah, just like connecting with people's bodies in a queer context was such a huge part of being like, oh, a body, my body. Um, I can learn how to be in this very slowly. I feel like that took a long time, right? But um, that was a huge kind of pivot point. And then also, yeah, I feel like in my early 20s, I I started doing sex work. And for me, that was also part of a pivot point. I think it like, there was this way of making explicit what had been happening implicitly or what happens implicitly as far as like the male gaze and patriarchy and sexual labor all of the time um, in this society. Um, There was something about making it explicit and like having more witness on board in those experiences that was just really transformative for me. And, you know, again, all the layers, like I super privileged layers of being able to do sex work and also yeah like a, a lot of gratitude for um the context and the kind of work that um that allowed me to just like have that experience often not always but often be this this kind of opportunity to like see to see myself and like kind of be in more like um like performative, like just getting to play and perform these things that had been internalized as how I was like inherently supposed to be that are often not an embodied space, right? Like I'm not like, oh, and I was always very much in my body um, in that when in that decade or so that that was a big part of my work, though definitely in my body at times, but also just this like explicitness of that work was really um, huge and cool for me um, to like learn about. Um, yeah, how, what I had kind of just internalized and thought was an inevitable way of being in the world and then kind of play with it and perform with it and watch myself in it and watch others and be compensated for like the labor, um, the emotional and sexual labor that we're, you know, always often uh, women and femme folks are just expected to be doing. Um, so yeah, I think that was another big piece. And then um, I got I got into um, health, more healthcare related work 
at the same time doing a lot of community organizing and working. I was working in Arizona. I was doing a lot of immigrant rights and solidarity work and then some community health work with that, um, with migrant-led organizing efforts, trying to like support like health and healing services and um, have that be a part of organizing for really amazing organizations in, in Phoenix um, around SB 1070 and like massive attacks on immigrant communities and just really thought a lot about trauma and the body and the impacts of, yeah, le- legislation and policy on so many people that I was in community with and in contact with and wanting to like create the supportive conditions for like healing and transformation for people who are doing really brave, fierce, powerful organizing. And I think somewhere in there, I was like, oh, and I also like, um, I think that's part of having, I feel like I come from like a uh, analysis of just like really looking at um, race and class and gender and power and privilege a lot. And like, have often been like, oh, as someone with so much privilege, like, I need to like step back and really like, you know, make space for people who do not, um, who, who are like living state violence so much more and so differently than me. And I think at some point in that process, I learned that also if I wanted to like be a healing force in the world, I needed to also do my own work <laughs> around embodiment. Um, and yeah, in a way, you know, that tension of like not wanting to center that or center my own experience at the expense of others, but also, right, like we can't actually like help other people if we're not pretty filled up. And so I think there was somewhere in there that that, that truth um, um, landed for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are some of the pieces I went, I went to, I'm actually like a primary care, like Western medicine, family medicine provider, um, which is not an embodied healing journey or often work. Um, but with the somatics work that I have been doing and, and studying, um, which I'd be happy to speak more to if that's interesting, um, trying to figure out how to integrate that into this kind of like sterile, oppressive, environment that's not usually about healing has been a really cool learning mm-hmm. for me. And then also just like landing over and over again. I've been um, a practicing PA for the last five years. And throughout that um, landing over and over again, how the work that I do on myself around um, em- embodiment and nervous system regulation is actually like one of the if not the most important things that I offer the people that I work with. And so just coming back to that, that journey and that work over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk more about that, especially, you know, just thinking about, you know, I appreciate you sharing kind of the trajectory of how this all happens. A lot of happened for you. A lot of it in some ways can, you know, I can really relate to in the sense of, you know, see kind of interacting with the, impact of systemic violence on communities and trying to figure out where or where you can position yourself to be not just helpful but kind of really address the sort of depth of the wounding and the trauma right and it, you know i think that i've made certain decisions in my life that have taken me into a professional realm that also can you know, really be quite sterile and, you know, disembodied and all that. But I think, you know, I guess 
I guess what's interesting to me is that what you've come to find and maybe similarly to me in some ways, but you know, what you've come to find is that thinking about the nervous system, regulating the nervous system and some of these, these kind of more particular like attention, giving particular attention to the, the way trauma interacts with the body is, is quite healing potentially and helpful. But I, I guess my curiosity is like, what did you identify as, what did you see when you were living in Phoenix? Like, what were you seeing in people and people in your community that you kind of clocked as like, this is, we have to figure out, like, I have to figure out some way to mediate this or like a solution for this or some way to help or participate in supporting. You said you wanted to like support you know, people who are doing really radical work and taking big risks. And I imagine that, you know, in retrospect, you can think about that from the perspective of, you know, like nervous system dysregulation and and all that. Um, Yeah. So maybe you could just talk a little bit more about like what, you know, tangibly you were kind of seeing and witnessing and continue uh to witness um, in your work. Yeah. Um, I think in that organizing work, just just working with a lot of migrant communities with like really amazing immigrant and POC leadership, um, which was just was so beautiful in a, in a time where there's such state repression and such, um, such hard uh, come downs, which are, there is for so many communities all of the time um, in so many different ways, but that was just a moment, a particular moment. Um, so a lot of just like PTSD symptoms and stress and anxiety and, and then the ways that that, of course, impacts, you know, health in other ways, as far as like, we know about how all of those things impact like blood pressure and sugar levels, diabetes and stuff like that. So seeing that, and then also one of my um, comrades is just like a, a brilliant public health migrant woman who did uh, like started a promotora kind of like healing circle with, with folks. And so seeing the way that both, well, one, in general, just in that organizing, seeing the way that trauma was impacting people's bodies, but also the way that organizing and like coming together was healing and like is healing work or has the potential to be healing work, depending on you know how that how that's happening. Um, and then this this group of like you know women coming together to be health promoters and like talk about the intersections of of um, of health and and migrant justice in their lives and bodies and like teach other people how to kind of take care, like cook or do different things was super inspiring. So just holding both like, yeah, there's a lot of like, um, the impacts of trauma are pretty intense. I think, th- and watching that. And then also just like my lifelong commitment to how organizing is healing work or can be healing work and just really respecting that and trying to find my role within that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, I worked after Phoenix, I moved to Tucson, Arizona and worked on a reservation there. And so that, I feel like that, uh, seeing the impacts of colonialism on people's bodies every, you know, every day for four years was a big, just like, oh, you know, just nervous system dysregulation that comes from intergenerational trauma that just really comes from colonialism uh, and really is just like wreaking havoc on people's bodies. And then interacting with that 
daily with, you know, um, yeah, a lot of chronic illness, a lot of, a lot of suffering in a lot of ways. And, and that is when I really landed where I was like, as a healthcare provider, which is different as like trying to figure out my role in movement stuff. And that's been such a tension and struggle and curious thing. But as a healthcare provider, it being just super clear that like where I come into a room, like my state um, mm. and my ability to be like grounded and um, and like open vessel, compassionate, um, bring my like mirror neurons in a way that are just as like uh, vibing and supporting people in in their like inherent desire for, for like internal nervous system organization and like healing and wellness, you know, just like being able to hold that felt really has felt really clear as an important thing to be, to be doing self work Mm -hmm. around. And I think similarly in organizing, I think when I show up as like a frazzled, Mm -hmm. like dysregulated adrenaline, like my little white supremacy culture, like urgency and shit comes on board. Like that's not, that's just like not helpful either. So I think it's both organizing and healthcare, but I have like really kind of um, felt that and experienced that a lot in, in my healthcare work, working with colonized folks. And I work mostly with migrant folks now and trans folks and yeah, just different people who are like, yeah, living under, under many boots of state oppression and intergenerational violence and are resilient and amazing and you know living like fiercely and beautifully and also um yeah like there's a lot of there's a lot of pain there of course and so how do I not further play into that or further like perpetuate that pain and harm is a big question especially working in western medicine Mm -hmm. yeah I mean how how do you do that? Like, how do you, how have you, I guess that's a really big question, but how do you, how have you found or fumbled around and like tried to find ways to, you know, you've talked about kind of slowing down um, and how you enter a room, thinking about how you enter a room, you know, from an energetic standpoint, but how, like what practices or ways of being um, have you had to kind of adopt or um in order to to sort of begin to do that to enter the room in a different way than maybe you were trained to do or that you know right like the even within the organizing work that you're I just can really relate to that kind of like urgent um that angry urgency that drives many people to act and um with the, with, you know, seemingly good intentions, but, you know, that really can actually perpetuate, you know, patterns of abuse or harm in, in unintended or, you know, unintended ways or unconscious ways. And so, yeah, I'm just curious how you've been mediating all that. And I'm sure you don't have all of the answers, but I just, (laughs) that's part of like this podcast, I guess, like figure out how some people are, Right, managing to kind of help regulate themselves so they can do the work that they're right really passionate about. Yeah, I'm so excited about this podcast for that reason because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, what a what a journey, right? Um, so many questions there for me. 
one of the biggest things has been slowing down, not just like how I come into a room, but taking on less and like having boundaries and saying no to things and not trying to do all of the things um, that I feel pulled to and called to do. And that's been super painful. I had to do that to, in order to become a healthcare provider, to go to school um, and step back from organizing stuff a lot. And that is just, it's been hard and just, yeah. And like, I I haven't figured out that balance um, totally, but that's been a huge learning curve for me of just like, it's kind of, yeah, I feel like it's kind of like surfing or something. It's like, I'll like be, I'll be like, I am doing too much, just like my paid work and like nourishing myself in ways that feel whatever. I'm like, is this okay? Is this too much? Whatever. And then I'll like flow into giving too much or throwing down too hard in something. And then I won't sleep for a week and I'm like, okay, okay back. So I feel like it's been like, yeah, some kind of just dance around, um, that balance of how much, how much I can do while trying to still to like do the work within myself to like fill my, fill my vessel and, um, show up right. And all of that, such a, such a, learning. I don't feel like I figured it out at all, but that dance is one thing. And the study, so the kind of somatics that I, that I I just finished a three-year program, it was called organic intelligence. And that, um, there's so many different somatic worlds, right? And there's so much like of that world that is actually just ancient indigenous and people of color knowledge. Anyways, but the particular training I did, I, I learned so much from it. I'm still learning so much from it. So those practices really are about like uh, pleasure and entering sensation and reflection and healing work through like more pleasurable or more joyful or more positive experience. And so that's been a huge one of like not thinking that the self-work or the work has to be just painful, um, but can be like it's okay to like lay in the hammock and enjoy the feeling of sun on my body, but that is like, you know, actually really uh, good work. And I think Adrienne Marie Brown, I'm reading Pleasure Activism right now and just like, you know, love the way she says it all the time. And I feel like that's some of the learning that I've gotten to do personally in, in my in myself through these practices and this training that I just did as well. And so just like honoring and following that and being like ease you know, follow the path of ease sometimes. Yeah. So all of those things in kind of daily ways, I try and meditate, fail often, but try and have like practice of quietness. Um, and then gardening, gardening for like the first time. I'm like, what have I been doing for 35 years? This is nuts. This is the best thing. So that tending, the practice of tending and watching things grow slowly. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that need to like show up with consistency um, to the earth. And that has been amazing this year for me. Um, yeah, those are, I think, some of the things. And then in the room, it's like, sometimes I'm a frazzled mess. You know, I'm like, I just saw eight patients in a row and I'm super far behind and like, I'm just going to do the best I can and like listen and try and be here. But like my presence is definitely not a healing presence right now. And that's just what is. So just compassion and and patience and forgiveness with myself for being where I am is also important. 
Um, but like in little ways, like not typing on the computer while I talk to people, like there's just been shifts where I'm like, as far as a healthcare practitioner, just like really trying to figure out what makes the room feel like a, a better, a better space, um, being able to like make eye contact with people, which I think providers often, unfortunately don't do those sorts of things. That was kind of all over the place, but oh, yeah. <laughs> stream of I'm consciousness. Sure that people listening would are like, "How can we come and see you?" Because that's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's really those are really significant. As someone myself who like interacts with you know the Western medical system, unfortunately, um, more than I would like to, you know, it's it's those things really do matter quite a bit. I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what your thoughts are on about why it feels so hard, why it, why it has, excuse me, felt so hard to kind of get to this place. I mean, I, I also have been reading pleasure activism and find it actually really confronting and, and challenging. Um, I think you're, you're speaking to some of that, but I do wonder what your understanding is, is like, why is it so difficult to kind of lay in the hammock or prioritize, you know, like Mm -hmm. you say the no to something or prioritize ease? Like what, what in your experience do you think kind of prevents that? Yeah. I mean, I am a, I am a product of this society. So I just think it's like, we are addicted in some of the language of, in, organic intelligence stuff like we're addicted to intensity in our society and pulled towards there's right there's like the brain by negativity bias already and then here we are in this world that is just like super violent and intense and everybody's living in their survival physiology like most of the time whether that's in an oppressor role or or like being targeted by that so there's just there's just like so much chaos in our collective nervous system, I think, and chaos gravitates towards that um, intensity and harshness. And um, uh, yeah, disorganization and all of all of that where, um, yeah, we're in fight or flight or freeze a lot of the time as far as the nervous system goes, right? And so I think... Um, ease feels really counter to that and like pleasure feels really counter to that and and I think that is you know our society at large and I think that's also our movements and I think that's also healthcare and I think that's also therapy you know I'm just like it's just like we're in a big soup of it and so for me I think just learning like reflecting on that and learning about that and learning about the nervous system um, and my own of course, right? Like, of course, tendencies and patterns within that from being a product of this world has been motivating to try and figure out how to do something differently. And when I hear Adrian Marie Brown talk about like another path of how we make, how this actually is just like feels better and we can make movements irresistible or when I have learned about, yeah, following, you know, being able to still like resolve, uh, trauma that's stored in the body through sensation that might be, you know, experienced through a more like pleasant or pleasurable pathway as opposed to just like intense and hard uh, pathways of experiencing that. I'm like, oh, this is so cool and makes sense. And of course, it's just super hard and confronting. Like I'm 
I'm, I see you. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, of course. Um, and it just kind of on some intuitive body level, I'm like, yes, yes, Mm -hmm. let's do this. I don't really know how, but let's, you know, um, gratitude for our, our movement leaders who are trying to write books and, and model through, um, through the path. Cause I'm like, yeah, chaos just creates more. And so here we are at the end of the world and climate change and, you know, just unbelievable times. And so it feels so like there is so much urgency. So it feels hard to be like, let's lay in the hammock and feel the sun. But I'm also like, how else are we going to get free? Because what we're doing right now, well, that is not, it's just not been working. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we need movements that are just like, tremendously huge like uh we want to be in spaces and creating spaces that feel good um and so I'm like I can't that can't just happen like I have to be part of that right like I'm like I gotta do some of this whatever this internal work is to like be part of that and um yeah would love to keep hearing people on your podcast and elsewhere in the world just be like here's what I'm figuring out Mm because it's yeah Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to, a lot of it, what you're talking about is kind of more broadly, like how do we actually more effectively nourish ourselves, you know, and what you are talking about has a lot to do with how a nourished, you know, fed nervous system can be we know it can be more effective. We know it can, you know, be smarter and more strategic and all those things. We know that empirically, but I think unless you've experienced that, it it's hard to trust it. And a lot of, you know, the patients I work with and a lot of, you know, my own personal experiences suggest that, you know, that is that state of kind of being nourished or fed or cared for, um, or even feeling pleasure is really hard to trust. Um, right. and, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to trust. And so I think that's part of what makes this challenging, um, along with everything you were saying, I guess in some ways it makes me think about sort of that shift or pivot that we were talking about earlier around, you know, moving from feeling like you needed to be so, small and kind of dependent in your body and your sexuality around, you know, your self-worth being tied to other people and mostly cis men. And, you know, that kind of shift you made towards, oh, I need to feel empowered. I need to make money. (laughs) I need to, you know, I need this to be actually more easeful. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times Mm -hmm. the the kind of notion, I mean, I'm certainly not trying to say that sex work is easeful. I'm trying to say that, you know, the idea of kind of nourishing yourself in whatever way you, in whatever ways you can, um, can actually make labor, emotional labor, psychic labor, much more sustainable. Um, Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause it's, it's on all of the levels. It's like super tangible stuff like housing and food and clean water to drink and air and all of that. And then, yeah. And then also, yeah, all of the like 
emotional supportive nourishing spaces that just is like the inherent dignity and right of all humans and that so many people are just like not not allowed to access and so yeah um yeah totally i think what i'm thinking what you just said reminded me of um i just read the i don't know if you've gotten to this part but fuck you pay me in <laughs> pleasure activism and just chanel Gillian, who's an amazing person and friend um talks about just like the pleasure in getting paid um and i'm just like yes it's so real like that is that is one layer of what we absolutely need to sustain ourselves and there is pleasure there so it doesn't pleasure doesn't always have to be like hot bubble baths right like it's like the pleasure in like having a boundary or the pleasure in like saying no um or the pleasure in saying yes to something that you want like all of yeah the different the different ways of 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 following those those paths of pleasure and ease that like aren't about necessarily about like self-care or things that should be reserved to some people and not for others or anything but just like it's just like an orientation and a practice because it's so counter I think definitely for me probably for most of us for like what we've been taught for how to go through this world of just like finding yeah finding the pleasure that is there in those like daily moments that can in and of themselves be nourishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, I guess I could talk about a lot of this for a lot longer, but, you know, I think one of the things that I'm curious about um, is how you, and I know this kind of could devolve into a, you know, quote unquote, self-care, like rhetoric kind of conversation, but you know, which I'm, I feel complicated about, but I think, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is how you, as someone who has, I'm thinking back to, you know, what you said about spending four years, basically being confronted and seeing the impact of colonialism on people's bodies every day, how, how you think you metabolized that at the time and maybe how you, I know we've kind of been talking about this, but how you think, you know, you're metabolizing things maybe a little bit differently now mm -hmm. in terms of, mm -hmm. kind of being, bearing witness to that, the sort of intensity of, of this traumatic world. Yeah, totally. Such a good question. I think that, you know, vicarious trauma is real. And, uh, I, that was, it was a lot for my system. I think that's why I had to do so much learning around nourishing myself and having space and time to do that. I didn't sleep like insomnia is kind of my go-to dysregulated body habit. And so my insomnia was really bad. I just was like not sleeping a lot. It was also, there was the layers of, I was like learning medicine. Um, it was my first job. And so medically folks were very complex. There was a lot going on um, for people's bodies in a medical sense. And then there was the trauma and the processing of, of how what I was seeing and interacting with daily was like legacies and current practices of colonialism, which I, you know, feel very like complicit with and, and a part of as a settler on this land. And so there was just so much there that was being processed and a lot of it was just in my body and I would um, find myself kind of like 
mirroring and going into some kind of just like existential collapse with people of just like feeling myself kind of like hunch over and try and like meet people in this way that was not helpful, but <laughs> was understandable, right? Of like, and I think those of us with more privilege who are working with people who are directly affected by lots of oppression and really like affected by that. I think there's sometimes this like, how can I meet you or like, right? And like, that wasn't, that wasn't it. And so I think the, the process of being like, oh, I have to like, not do as much political work outside of outside of my job. And like, I have to honor this work and like building trusting relationships with indigenous folks and taking good care of them as as their health and their bodies. And like, that is my work right now. Like that was super hard for me. Cause I was like, that's not movement work, you know? And so I think that was really big. And then through that, I just had to learn. I mean, that's where I think a lot of my like boundary work and saying no and trying to like get my self-worth not through like volunteer organizing but just like being and trying to like be as well as I can and be present and loving and bear witness and compassionate and ask good questions to my patients like became more of my work um and now I work in a different context now where folks are also dealing with state oppression and and whatnot, but it, there's there's both my own like journey with filling myself up a little bit more and doing nervous system regulation work through OI and through practices has been helpful. Um, and I'm working with different communities that have maybe less generations of trauma mm. that they're working through, um, that their bodies are being so deeply impacted by. It's just, it's, there's just more, I have more space. Like I can be doing things outside of that work and, um, uh, yeah. And I have, it's just like the learning curves are different and, um, speaking a lot of Spanish. So that's one of my, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is like a brain thing that I'm doing, but my body is showing up. I think often pretty like full, like pretty here and, um, able to be with folks and still bear witness and all of the things, but with, I think there's more ease and I don't know what all of that is, but I'm like, cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Totally. And getting to practice. I work with folks in recovery um, who are I do prescribe Suboxone for people mm -hmm. um, who are, who are dealing with heroin addiction primarily or opioid addiction of other kinds. And I, um, and I get to do a lot of this, like I get to in integrate some of the somatics work in in that in those visits, particularly. It's just like such a amazing time, such a challenging, powerful time to work in a harm reduction setting. So I have it's super harm reduction. I get to work with people wherever they are at, literally, mm -hmm. which I love. Um, and so I'm I'm like really bringing in some of this work more of um, helping people access like reliable moments of positive experience. One of my friends who's an acupuncturist told me that recently that like that is how we can help rewire specifically like chemical pathways around addiction and chronic pain is like reliable um, frequent doses of positive experience. So I'm trying to like do some of that with my patients, which is really exciting yeah. and feels good. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And by positive experience in part you're talking about I think, you know, sort of what I was referring to before around trusting pleasure, trusting, yes, you yep. know, cumulatively, eventually we can come to trust 
those experiences in our bodies. Um, and I can imagine, especially for people who are dealing with addiction in whatever way that they are, you know, that kind of finding that there are other s- sort of sources of, of ease that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, are not um, heroin or something right. like that, you know, right. that, but that has to happen kind of cumulatively reliably, as you said, like over time. And right. that's so important for us to think about just, I don't know, maybe even symbolically as in terms of the notion of healing, that it doesn't just happen. It happens really slowly and, and has to be a sort of sustainable process. Um, right. And right. And felt in the body. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just, if I can just circle back and say one more thing about that, some of the work that I'm getting to do right now is about working with some of the folks in our recovery program. I've developed curriculum around root causes of addiction and the war on drugs and resilience, and then have like done some leadership with patients in the recovery program to be peer facilitators and to, and they've started organizing. And so it just, I like circle back again to where like um, the role of being connected to something larger is just so important and so healing and to get to watch that right now in a totally different context than I have before. I'm just like, right. Like it's so the multiple layers are so real where it's like moments of feeling the sun on your back or trusting, learning to trust that like, it is okay to have some experience of like pleasure or sometimes even neutrality if we're like being real. And also, yeah, being a part of something that is about something bigger than ourselves is just like such a profoundly or has the potential to be such a profoundly healing part. And so I just wanted to add that that's something that like I'm witnessing again in a different context and being like, right, this part is here. Um, And it looks so different for different people and it has to, and like our movements have to be so much more accessible than they are to like allow people with all of the different bodies and all of the different experiences to access that. But just, yeah, really appreciating that truth as part of, as part of the, part of the healing journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. Okay. And I would love to know what you might say or compel someone else to say to your younger self. Oh, what a sweet question. Oh, I might say, oh, honey, you get to be a student of this life and It is going to be so hard and so beautiful. Be gentle with yourself. Don't take it all on and trust the process. That might be something I would say to my little me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I want to just give people an opportunity also to find out about, find out about you, be in touch with you and maybe find out about some of these, you know, communities that you're, working with, organizing, all that? Like my information? Sure. Yeah. Well, I have an Instagram. I think it's Leah Joe with a zero for the Joe. I have, uh, yeah, I have an email address that I can share with people what I love talking about all of these things. So it's Leah Joe Carnine, um, L-E-A-H-J-O-C-A-R-N-I-N-E at Gmail. Cool. Yeah. 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 So if people want to know more, we'll we'll have a link in the show notes too. Cool. Um, 
but it's really nice to talk to you. And thanks. It's me. nice to talk to you too. Thank you. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. This is Asher. I hope you enjoyed this discussion, and if you want to keep it going, I have a new announcement. Um, You may have seen this on Instagram, but very quickly, I'm excited to announce that I'm going to be offering post-podcast talkback sessions called Together on Tuesdays, and This will be open to all the Patreon supporters. So if you're a current Patreon supporter at any level, you will have a lifetime access to this living in this queer body extended together community. And then from today going forward, you can join Patreon for as little as $10 a month. And this goes towards production costs, but also gives you access to live or recorded post-podcast conversations where we'll take a topic from the podcast interview um, on a particular week and explore it in more depth together. I hope this serves to connect people from all over the country and world who've been listening. To find out more, you can go to the website livinginthisqueerbody.com and there is an easy banner to click. Or you can uh, go to Patreon and search Living in This Queer Body. Once you join, the information for Living in This Queer Body Together community, which is open to all people, is going to be available for you. So let me know what you think and join me for one of these talkback sessions so that we can kind of keep going deeper and deeper into what gets brought up by some of our really lovely guests. Thanks again for listening.